Church family, remember. See, Jan, that is why I gave you a small piece, because Rob gave me a big piece. (laughs) It is literally still stuck. I can feel it going down my throat. (laughs) Okay, so we are in the gospel according to John, and that's, uh, for those of you who haven't been a part of Tapestry before, uh, we go through a book of the Bible at a time, uh, typically Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. The goal is, truthfully, for for many of us, we were not familiar with Scripture, and we want you to be able to get familiar, because it's... Uh, One of my favorite podcasts describes the Bible as a unified story that points to Jesus. It is a unified story by, oh, apparently somebody else listens to the Bible Project. Okay. (laughs) Um, It's a story that points to one individual through many different authors, and it tells it in different ways. Um, And so it's good for us to read large chunks of it. So we do go off that that trend twice a year. We... we, uh, focus on Lent before Easter to prepare for that, and we focus on Advent before Christmas to prepare for that. Uh, But otherwise, we go through a book of the Bible. So we are in the Gospel of John and have been in the Gospel of John. This is the 20th week. Uh, Most of that is reading Scripture usually. Uh, It is not because I have any great things to say. Um, Instead, it is reading large chunks. So we're going to read 21 verses, if I remember right, and Pam's going to operate that for me behind me, which I am very appreciative of. By the way, um, Mariah and Aaron, what I was holding up, I don't know if you could see it, I still had your save the date in my, is this the save the date? This is the save, yeah, it says save the date in my Bible. Um, So apparently you've been a bookmark for me for a while now. So this is what the word of the Lord says. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he was brought out, uh, excuse me, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from the Father." 
The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now, I think most of you know this, but I'm not sure, but I love my dog. And I enjoy doing things with my dog. It was her birthday yesterday. Lucy is now one year old. We have had her for almost eight weeks so we got her when she was 10 months old. This is Lucy, and she loves to ride in, in cars. If you look, you will see her in my rearview mirror because she has become convinced that when I go for a ride, her job, you know, God is not my dog pilot or my, my co-pilot. Dog is my co-pilot because she needs to go with me. Now, you may have animals that have done this, that have suddenly picked up on certain ways you begin to sound or certain behaviors you have when you're going to do something, and they respond. Lucy knows when I'm going for a ride, and she runs to the garage door and faces it. Now, that's not always a good thing because she loves going for a ride, but she's convinced that she can just bounce around anywhere in the car. I eat, Mom, I'm sorry, by the way, I put a photo of you here, but like, she just jumps up. Lucy can balance on the back of a car seat. Okay, that's literally what she's doing right there is she's balancing on the back of a seat. And as you can tell, my mother is thrilled. Also, I probably will pay for the fact that I put her in this. If I go, so my side gig that enables me to be a, a, be a pastor and not get paid very much by the church at all um, requires that I do a, a stupid little cheesy Monday video every week. You're welcome to watch it. I have a YouTube channel if you want. I wouldn't encourage you to do it. They're always kind of cheesy. They're made for, they are kind of cheesy, um, but the people that I serve, they love it, and so I go and do it. And every week I go out to the river, if possible, to film these, and Lucy has become convinced that she needs to go with me. So this is what typically Sunday afternoon and Monday morning looks like uh, at, with me. It's hard to see her, but she's right there. Apparently, she was not very thrilled with this video and was not going to look at me. Now, this is all well and good until she's not a good passenger. Now, what you can't tell here is her body's back here because I have a, a leash or a lead that is attached to a headrest. It holds her in place somewhat. This was a longer version and I have since shortened it, so she's stuck back here. This is what happened two Mondays ago when I was filming my Monday Motivator. This is a video, there is no sound. I promise you I didn't cut the sound, you'll understand why in a second. Apparently my dash cam, which only purpose of my dash cam is when something interesting happens. I download the video and then I put it on a family chat. Um, Apparently, I killed the sound. So this is just riding along. She's happy. Could you tell she just jumped and is now balanced on the side of the building or side? That's when she fell out. She's just wagging her tail. <laughs> now, one, I was very, very thankful for that lead because she would have gone underneath the tire if it had not been for that. But she was just hanging by her, her neck there. Two, um, I bought a cheap lead 
And um, the nylon fabric, cheap nylon fabric, holds as well as expensive nylon fabric, but what doesn't hold as well is the metal ring that holds the two pieces of, of nylon fabric together, and uh, that bent out of shape, and I had to get a, a, a more expensive metal ring to put in there. She's fine. The reason I said I didn't cut the audio is uh, there, there may have been a chance I may have said something at one point <laughs> that would not have been church-friendly. I don't think I did because <laughs> I'm really not a cusser. But you saw my face when she went from balancing on the side of the, the door to off the side. We just don't know, and we just don't want to go there. Now, we're all laughing and we're all shocked, but like, you have pets that respond to you. Like, if you go online, you're going to find lots of examples of people that are showing where their animals have responded. Here's one. This is a guy in China who calls us chickens. Are you doing this or am I doing come this? Come on, sheep. Oh, there we go. Good girl. oh, no, these are sheep. Excuse me. Come on. The chickens come next. Like, this is a shepherd. And I cut this video because it was too long. But before this, the non-shepherd, or excuse me, the shepherd had non-shepherds calling the sheep to try and come to him, and they wouldn't respond. And she responds, and they start jumping over this water because they're coming to her because they trust her. It's not just sheep that do this. This is the video of the chickens. Oh, apparently I did not put the chicken video in. You should look for a guy in China who calls his chickens. It's fascinating. Just ignore the rest of the sermon. Just go on YouTube and look for this. Thousands of chickens responding. Now, if you've had an animal in your life, you've experienced this. It's something about they begin to trust this person, they respond to this person. I'm going to bet that Oreo, the rabbit, even did some of this. That there were certain tones that Oreo would respond in, and Heidi didn't like Oreo, so therefore maybe, maybe Oreo is responding negatively to you. <laughs> Just joking. Cats even do it cats. Like we have a thing in our household that we call kitty fingers, that if you just do this, people are convinced in my household, wrongly, <laughs> wrongly I might add, but if you do this, the cats will come to you. Now we all know the cats just come whenever they want to. That's the way cats operate. This is what Jesus is talking about here. He, he says the following. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. And this entire process, uh, passage of Scripture, Jesus is talking about being this gate and being the good shepherd and how the sheep can trust him. Now, the temptation so often is for us to read ourselves into Scripture, and that's a good thing, Okay. Saran Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher and, and Christian, said that whenever we read Scripture, we should look at it with the mindset of, it's talking about me. Oh my gosh, it's talking about me. But that doesn't mean that everything is about us. And the danger here is for us to read this passage as though it's about the sheep. Because then we go, I need to listen to my Lord's voice better, which is a truthful statement. We should. But this passage is about the shepherd, not about the sheep. He's not talking about whether or not you're a good sheep or not. He's talking about who he is as a shepherd. He's the gate that opens up to good life, to pasture that is green, to, to life in it abundantly. And he contrasts 
himself and false shepherds, if you notice. Here. Are you doing it or am I doing it? Okay, there we go. If you look at the, the first 10 verses, he's going to discuss false shepherds and true shepherds. And he throws out a dichotomy where he throws out some things that the false shepherd does and some things that the good shepherd does. And in the first five verses, he, we don't actually specifically know that he's talking about himself. What I mean is we read back and go, oh, he's talking about himself. But he doesn't say he's the good shepherd in the first five verses. He, he does the following here, okay? The false shepherd enters another way. The good shepherd enters the gate. Now, that seems like a simple thing. But think about it. Jesus came to accomplish the will of the Father. And when you read the story of Jesus in the Gospels, one of the things you first see uh, is that soon after his baptism, there is a temptation that takes place. The accuser, Hasatan, the adversary, comes and tempts Jesus. And it doesn't just happen three times in his life. He was probably tempted throughout his entire life. But if you look at those temptations, all three of those temptations come down to accomplish the Father's will through another mechanism. Your goal is to call people of all nations to you. I'll give you all the nations. All you have to do is bow down to me. Jesus will not do the Father's will in a way that is opposed to who the Father is. There are plenty of people that try to accomplish good things through negative and destructive ways. One of my favorite quotes from The Office is when Michael Scott says that sometimes the ends justify the mean, as in not the means of doing it, but the mean of how you do it. Like, err, I mean. Apparently, I think that's funny and nobody else does. <laughs> or I didn't tell it very well. But I know a lot of people who take shortcuts. I know a lot of people who do terrible things thinking it's justified because they did it for a good end. But how does Jesus do it? He comes to save humanity by sacrificing himself. He enters through an entirely different way than the way of Rome at that time. Rome was the dominant culture of that time, and all other nations in the world tried to outdo Rome. We will defeat Rome by being more powerful than Rome. Jesus was weak. He defeats sin through death. False shepherds don't enter through the gate. He also says that the false shepherds are thieves and robbers, whereas the true shepherd calls and leads. The false shepherds are out for themselves. The true shepherd is out to take care of the sheep. I mean, think about it. Jesus comes down here, and we talk about, uh, in, in theology, we talk about God humiliating himself. Now, when you hear the word humiliation, you may think uh, what I would think of, which was when I was a 13-year-old boy, my biggest fear on the face of the planet was to trip and fall at a football stadium down south. You go to high school football games, okay? I, I, I know we think we like football here, but like Spash, some of you know Spash, you went to Spash, Spash football games, how many of you have been to a UWSP football game? Two. <laughs> Two people. 
How many of you have been to more than three UWSP football games? Nobody. <laughs> okay? I cheer for a team I never went to their school, and I've been to more games than, than y'all have, and some of you graduated from there, okay? So, guess, I went to high school football games every Friday, quite often Thursday and Wednesday. And all I could think of as a 13-year-old boy is, if I trip and fall, there will be 30,000 people that are staring at me. That's what I thought humiliation was. In theology, humiliation is, he is the Lord God creator. And he humiliates himself, he lowers himself to be taken care of as a babe. Think about that for just a second. He is the Lord God creator that Isaiah describes the throne room as having seraph, heavenly creatures that are shouting back and forth to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That in this passage with Isaiah 6, where Isaiah gets a glimpse of the Lord and it is overpowering to him to the point that the whole room fills with smoke so that God is seen, but he is only seen briefly because that is all that, that even in a vision Isaiah can handle. He moves from that to having to have diapers changed. He is humiliated. Instead of coming to take from the sheep, he humiliates himself to take care of the sheep. That is the God we talk about. The God who is the Alpha and the Omega, the knower of all things, who has to learn his letters... Because that's in the incarnation. Jesus did not come out of the womb quoting differential equations, okay? He came out of the womb and had to learn to talk by his parents making bubbling noises at him. Is that accurate? No, okay. It's <laughs> the problem with having a language expert in your family. Goo-goo noises. I'll just stop, okay. <laughs> that's humiliation. False teachers come to steal. A true teacher comes to lead and to sacrifice. You can see people actually using Christianity for this. There are lots of documentaries out that are out right now where people come that are supposed to be pastors, literally a word that means shepherd. And what do they do? Instead of sacrificing themselves for the sheep, they are shearing the sheep and selling them for meat. False teachers use the true shepherd gives. What else? He gives life in full. They kill and destroy. This is really what I want to focus on because I think the gate metaphor that is being used here is Jesus is not talking about a new way of living but a new life. And here's the reason I use that wordage. So often in Christianity, we go, oh, I need to live this way. And there is some truth to that, but that so often leads to just focusing on morality but I think Jesus comes and offers us a life that is an entirely different thing. It is about different purposes. Here, here is what he says uh, in Ezekiel. The Lord God is described as a shepherd. It says, this is what the Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? This is how God is describing the kings of Israel, that they should be people who take care of. And that was an entirely different model than the kingship of the other nations around them. The kings of the other nations around them were supposed to be the first that all others served. David was a shepherd who was supposed to serve 
everyone else. That's a different view of kingship. One is a view of kingship where everything else feeds here. The other is a view of kingship where this is the first person to sacrifice that others would be taken care of. Now think about this with life. There are so many things in life that we think are about giving us meaning. And I think Jesus is trying to give us a life that has a different meaning from all the other things that that try to give us meaning. I'm going to use a non-Christian philosopher for this. This is uh, Frederick Nietzsche. No, that is not. I don't know why I think that makes it work better. There we go. That's Frederick Nietzsche. Now, I like Frederick Nietzsche, and the reason I like him is I think that as a philosopher, he is the best argument against Christianity. And the reason I think he's the best argument against Christianity is because he sees Christianity for what it really is, and he just disagrees with it. So often, I believe uh, other thinkers will bring up a model of Christianity that when I look at it, go, that looks nothing like the Christianity I've, I know. Frederick Nietzsche says that Christianity calls people to be dependent upon God and to be weak, and he disagrees with that. I think that's a valid argument because he's describing Christianity in a way of saying, Christianity is about ultimately saying Jesus is Lord. He is the one in control of my life. He is the one who has my life, and I am dependent upon him. And I think that is an adequate description of Christianity. And he disagrees with it. That's why in two different books that he writes, he comes up with the phrase, God is dead. Many of you have heard it before. It comes from Nietzsche. But Nietzsche... Well, in his book, and I never can pronounce the, the name of the book, Thus Spoke Zarathustra. I probably butchered it. Hey! Hey! It did it really? Wow. In that book, it's a story. This guy comes to a village and uh, proclaims to them that God is dead. I'm very much summarizing here, okay? And when he proclaims to, to the village that God is dead... He doesn't think they understand how terrible that is. Because what he's saying is, God is dead, therefore you have no meaning. Think about it. Life without any meaning whatsoever. And he suggests that they have to develop, well, what he would have called the Ubermanch. Okay, here. That's Nietzsche being the Ubermanch. We would know that it literally means Superman. Okay, so... Superman somewhat comes out of this. Another individual you may have heard of comes out of this thought, and that's Hitler. The Ubermatch is the will to power. It is one individual that will give the rest of us meaning because life without meaning is hell as far as he's concerned. See, Nietzsche looks at Christianity and says, your meaning comes from being dependent upon this God, and that's wrong. I completely disagree with him, but I respect the fact that he says we have to have meaning. Jesus says, I am the gate. What he's offering you is not some new way of life in the sense of now go and do more moral things. Morality is a good thing, okay? I want all of us in this room not to lie, not to cheat, not to steal. I, I want us not to kill anybody. That's a really good thing. But Jesus didn't come here to make us more moral people. 
He came here to offer us a new way of life that is about an entirely different meaning. And what is that meaning? I think that meaning is coming back to the image of God. That you were created to be valuable not because of what you do, not because of what you have, not the experiences that you go through. Now, that's a big deal because we have a, a culture that is focused on experiences. Many of you that are younger have friends that have gone through one of the most meaningful experiences in their life recently. You may have seen videos of them crying. I, of course, am talking about the Taylor Swift concerts that are happening right now. They're huge. And, and one of my sons messaged back and go, I'm just dumbfounded because I'm getting these videos from friends of mine that are crying at a Taylor Swift concert. Now, this is no criticism of Taylor Swift. I like Taylor Swift, okay? I don't know any of her songs other than the chorus of a few things. Like right now, I know it's me, it's me, I'm the problem, it's me. I know the tune does not sound like that at all. Only reason I know it is because it shows up in some Instagram reels. I don't know what the song's about. I may have just sung a song about, about Nazis for all I know. I don't know. I'm not criticizing Taylor. Okay? There are lots of other ways that people find meaning. So, case in point, anybody know somebody who bought a really expensive boat and that their entire life is defined by this boat now? Not to pick on boats. I know plenty of people whose trucks define who they are. Actually, that's not true. Whose trucks define who they want other people to see them as. There's all sorts of ways that we try to find meaning. Because we need meaning. We need to know that we exist for some reason. And Jesus came to say, it is not about what you own. It is not about what you wear. It is not about what you do. Think of the number of jobs that try to determine that their job is, their, is your meaning in life. I would suggest that a lot of companies use that to their advantage. Google sets up all of these things to where you can spend all your time there. Why? Because it's the most important thing you can do in your life. No, it's not. I know people whose hobbies are their meaning and purpose in life. Who are you? I'm a crafter. No, you're not. You're a child of God who likes to craft. He's trying to give us a meaning that's different, and it's something we long for in all of life. People find it in destructive ways. People find it in ways that are more socially acceptable that may be just as destructive. But Jesus says, I am the gate. They enter and they find pasture. And I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. Now, in some ways, this is mainly just a theoretical conversation because I haven't told you exactly how to do this because it's not about you doing it. It's about us recognizing the fact that we were meant to be in relationship with God. And that we're, when we're in relationship with him, it shapes the way all of our other relationships go. Our relationship with each other, our relationship with creation. It changes the way we view everything else around us. So we're no longer trying to, to imbue meaning to our, our possessions or to our professions or to our relationships. 
meaning that they were never meant to be able to handle. And so often when we put that meaning on it, it destroys the very thing that we love. He is the gate. The Pharisees were saying, if you follow us and do this right stuff, you'll be great. But it was destructive. Instead, Jesus was saying, I am here for you. So you're not hearing anything practical to do today other than maybe look in the mirror and realize that you were created in the image of God. And he wants to say that you're valuable. So before I end, does anybody have anything they want to add? Yes, ma'am, Jan. So, and Jan, I would say we do need a purpose. That purpose is being a child of God. And it changes all those other things. I, I would say it puts them in their spot to where uh, they can actually be good. And here's what I mean. Think of a fuse. Fuse, uh, and for some of you, you don't really know what a fuse is. You think a fuse is a circuit. That's different. Circuit breaker in your house gets too much power going to it. A, a switch flips. But some of us remember the old fuses where you'd have this box and you'd have to screw it in and then you would... You would just wait for everything to go perfect, and then there would be a storm, and you forgot the flashlight in the basement, so you had to, to you know, wander around and try and find it. The whole point of a fuse is that you have high power here. You have a little piece of metal that will melt before the high power goes where it's not supposed to go. So think of it like this. High power, little bitty thread of thin metal. You want the right amount of power going through here. And if too much comes through, it burns it out. And here's what I'm trying to say. The other things that we quite often cling to for purpose, when we cling to them for our ultimate purpose, they were never meant to handle that. So I love my job. Okay? I love being your pastor. I know you may have introduced me as Pastor Robert to somebody before, and I have said, you can just call me Robert, because I don't like titles. But one of the greatest honors in my life is, Jan, like you have introduced me at coffee shops before, as this is my pastor. And I don't know if you can tell or not, I'm beaming. I love being your pastor. But if that was my ultimate purpose in life, it would become destructive to me. And to be honest, it would probably become destructive to you. What I'm saying is this. When we realize that Jesus was meant to be our ultimate purpose, it puts all the other things in their right spot. I want your art to give you, you purpose and meaning. I love your art. I have three of your paintings in my house. I, I love your art. But what happens if you couldn't paint? What happens if you couldn't dance? I would say God as our ultimate purpose is over the rest of that, which means if anything down here changes, we can adapt to that. If I lost the, let's say that I lost the ability to pastor. Some of that, truthfully, it, let's say I lost the ability to speak. Now, my wife would tell me there's still ways you can communicate. I could still pastor. 
But let's just say, for this argument, I couldn't anymore. If pastoring was my ultimate meaning, I wouldn't have a reason for life anymore. Hold on one second. I see you. I see you. Um, if God is my ultimate meaning, that can be adjusted then to something else. Clancy, go for it. And I'd say everything is changeable in life except for what I'm suggesting is that our ultimate purpose be the one who is unchangeable. Because then we can adapt with it. Does that help a little? Okay. <laughs> no, I'm not saying you shouldn't. That, uh, okay. It's all right. And I'm not saying that other things shouldn't have a meaning to you. But I also think it's very limiting when we say these things have to be me. I'm going to use a profession. Okay. One time I'm... I don't mean to identify us. I don't mean that. Okay. I just say, so one time in my life I was a janitor. I didn't, I mean, I enjoy setting up stuff, but it was not for me like, oh, this is, I'm a janitor. Yay. <laughs> it was a good job. I know plenty of people who are like, it's a job, but it's not their ultimate meaning. Anybody else? Oh, yes, sir, Aaron. And Jesus kind of explains a little bit of that without using the gate on there. He's, he's talking to a group of people that, that understand a lot of the shepherding stuff. Now, the danger here is, is uh, we can take this and turn it into an allegory where everything has meaning in it and such. But what Aaron's describing there is basically a shepherd in the ancient Near East, was, it, was, it was not just like, oh, they're a monetary asset to me. I mean, Nathan tells David, so King David, a story and uses a sheep and describes the sheep as like being a daughter in the family. Shepherds laid down their lives for, for sheep. And what I'm saying is the one who's supposed to give us meaning in life is one who sacrifices himself. He's not a CEO. He's a shepherd. And that was a big deal, and it still is. So if you would join with me in singing our closing prayer. Praise God from the